Welcome to the Growth League podcast, where we interview business owners who have experienced quantum leap growth in their business. In each episode, we're going to dive deep into our guests' firsthand experience about what it was like 90 days before and 90 days after that point when their business started experiencing massive growth. I am here with my guest, uh, Robert Price. He is the co-founder and CEO of Bode, which is uh, an exciting, an exciting uh, new, newish company, um, unbelievable technology and uh, an idea that has turned into a business. I, I heard you uh, once on a, on a, can't remember where I read this or heard this, but you were talking about this idea of ideas are ideas, but they're not businesses until you consider all of the different components and, and factors that play into that. So uh, it's been enjoyable to to see some of the early stage growth of of this company, um, and and I'll give you a chance to talk a little bit about the origin story. But before then, um, bring us back in terms of how you got to the place of where you are today. I, I remember hearing stories about obviously you uh, seeing your grandparents and and what they did with with Santerra, and then. I also heard that your dad taught you to buy your first stock when you were 12 years old and you went on a long car ride where he convinced you to become part of Axia. So give us the whole background in terms of uh, where you got to today and, and how they left an imprint on your, your ability to be an entrepreneur or business leader. Yeah, that was, that was very accurate. Those are all accurate stories. Oh, cool. um, so, so I started, uh, I, was, I was raised in a, in a household where, of course, Suntara was, was going um, Art was running the uh, was running Husky, the CEO of Husky Oil at the time. I think he got that job when he was 29, wasn't even 30 yet. Um, so one of a, a superstar, brilliant guy that was that was came from nothing in terms of uh, their path. You know, he he grew up out in the country with dirt floors and no plumbing, and you know that's the Santera family him, himself and his brothers and their parents, my grandparents got started that, you know, in that business all the way back now, 30 plus years ago. Um, so they, he both had an entrepreneurial background as well as, you know, knowing completely, completely self-made story, which was really for me, you know, you can't have a better example for that. And he always told me, I'm not smart. I just work hard. Yeah. I just work harder than everybody else. I'm like, yeah, I think you're also pretty smart, but I know what you're, I know, I know what you're trying to do here. Um, So, so we kind of went through, you know, I went through my, my teenage years hearing a lot about stories of what's going on in the energy industry and meetings he was having with presidents and prime ministers and, and getting a lot of that interesting insight, which to me was just super interesting, even as a 12, 13 year old. Yeah. getting a lot of that information and we ultimately uh so my first bought some of that axia stock when i was 12 uh, which <laughs> i think i think it was 80 bucks that i had and that was almost all my money at the time and uh ended up doing not bad with it in the end but but then i my my first actual venture was a landscaping business out west of town where i cut grass and and had a number of uh a number of uh, pieces of machinery at my disposal, and that was per, that was a very expensive. Like people were doing two, three hundred dollars an hour of work, um, so I could come in and for fifty dollars, which was a ton of money for me as an eighteen or nineteen year old, I could do 
quite a basically pay for my education in in a summer. Hmm. So that that was and my I used my very first grill of marketing tactic, which was putting uh, putting printouts of our services on mailboxes in the country. <laughs> and my I couldn't get I I had my phone was I got more business than I could do in three months when I, when I did that. So that was my first kind of taste of it um, myself. And then, and then ultimately moved into entrepreneurship in university. I was a new specialization at the time. So I took economics, business with a specialization in entrepreneurship and with the goal of uh, starting my own company. And as I was, as you mentioned, as I was coming back from university um, from California, I went to school in, in Northern California, I had a, 20 hour drive where with with art where he was saying why don't we why don't we just start with you at axia and see try try some of these ideas that you were building in university and let's see if they uh let's see if they land let's see start with six months doesn't have to be a big commitment yeah. i was very much focused on getting going out on my own and not being in his shadows so 11, to speak 11 years later <laughs> <laughs> yeah and then exactly 11 years later um, ended up with building, you know, being a senior executive at the company, driving a number of new businesses within it. And that was a big part of the discussion that we had in that drive was, we're as entrepreneurial as it gets. If it makes sense and it's in line with our fundamentals, we'll, we'll attack it, we'll invest in it. So you have, so it really gave me the opportunity to learn how to build new ideas into actual businesses mm-hmm. and, and uh, do that in the surrounded by a lot of smart people and a team uh, that set me up for this uh, this next venture. That's awesome. And we will dig into that. That's uh, I want to put the bulk of the conversation on Bode because I think for a lot of Calgarians and anyone in Canada, North America, it's such a, it's such a cool story, but we're going to let the listeners wait a little bit on that. <laughs> so for all of you uh, branding experts out there in the audience, um, uh, you will be blown away at the at the name that Robert picked for his landscaping company. I think it was called Good Price, right? <laughs> How did that come yep. to be? Uh, well, it was Jarrett Good was oh. my was my partner, and I'm Robert Price, so it was Good right. Price. It was just and as we know, the most elegant. And that's what you want to compete on, right? Is price. That's <laughs> that's that's the big strategy. There's a reason why Lindsay Scobar, my chief marketing officer, is, has the job that she does. Lindsay's name good. name choices are not my not my strength. Right. Well, that's <laughs> that's such a great story, and, and it's uh, it's I think it's a good reminder in 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 terms of when you have people surrounded, uh, when you surround yourself with people, and in your case, it's your family. Just be a sponge, right? You were you had access to that. Um, information and that way of looking at a, the world from a macro lens that I think you've been able to leverage uh, really well. So just just listen and, and learn and sponge. So yeah, and, I, and in that in that early you know in my transition into my career as I as I got into Axie, I really I started with I want to be way outside the shadow, and then once I got into it, I said that's stupid. I want to learn as much as possible. And exactly as you say, be a sponge and never stop learning because that's at the end of the day, that's that's what it's all about, getting better and getting smarter and getting building your skill set and your experience and leveraging that mm-hmm. from as many people that you can that you trust and and know have that skill. So right. that was a big that was a big key to my career growth for sure. 
What uh, lessons did you take away from, uh, we're both, uh, so I was also an NCAA uh, athlete, uh, played football in the States and you played tennis down in, in California, right? What, what yeah. did you take from the, from the hard court to the, or the clay court to uh, how you look at the world today? Yeah, tennis is interesting because all the way up until, up until university, it was very much an individual sport. You play singles and doubles sometimes, but it's pretty much an individual sport. I also played hockey, mm -hmm. um, but there is something about being out there on your own and having to figure out what to do, right? There's every mistake that you make is all on you. There's no hiding. There's just you one-on-one -on -one with another, with a competitor and trying to solve the puzzle of how to beat them, how to leverage your strengths against their weaknesses how to, and how to do that as often as possible throughout the course of a match. So, the, and then that really also for me, you know, waking up at 5.00 AM playing and training before school when I was in high school really set a different, you know, that, that was, that was difficult, especially in Canadian winters, you know, it's minus 25 out, it's cold and dark and you're playing the first half an hour in a toque because it, the, the building we were in hadn't warmed up yet. And, you know, just, it just teaches you some toughness and some, some discipline on the, on the individual side. And then once I got to university, now I'm, now I had a combination of being the individual and being on a team. Mm -hmm. And that to me was way more fun because you're, you're contributing to the team, but then you're cheering on your teammates, you're training together, you're pushing each other. Um, and I was ultimately the captain of the, the team not because I was the best player, but just because I want, I had that attitude where I loved it and I was pushing, yeah. I was working harder than the more talented players, which elevated everybody's level. Right. Because if I'm out working them and I'm not on the top of the lineup, then what, what excuse do they have? <laughs> right. You had that Alberta grit, which is, <laughs> which is nice. So, so we fast forward to today and obviously co-founded uh, Bode with, with a team of, I think people need to take a look and, and see who's on your, on your leadership team. It is uh, quite the roster, um, I would say. And, and uh, you know, from Alan to Lindsay and um, Jordan on the BD side. So I think that it's, a, it's an unbelievable team and, and I don't know who you have, you're growing and, and these types of things, but for those that don't know about Bode, right? It's, it's leveraging the demo and you can, you can fill in my gaps and paint more color to this, but it, it's leveraging the democratization of, of information between buyers and sellers really, and, and, and applying that to a technology at a time where folks are more and more comfortable doing this. I mean, yeah, it's our biggest asset that we're talking about in, in most cases. Uh, we've become comfortable doing our banking, our, uh, you know, booking airline tickets, building a vehicle and buying it online. It's taken a little bit of time for, for home buyers, but, but tell me about the origin story of Bode. Why did this, and, and, and how did it come? I love, I can't remember where you said it, but ideas are whatever, right? It, it, how do we turn that into a business? So talk to me about the origin story of, of this awesome company. Yeah. And the, and the other leader on the team, Jeff is, is the, is the other founder that that okay. uh, fills fills out that gap, as you said. Okay. Um, so Jeff Jeff and I are long term friends. Um, going back to 2017, I'm still running hard at Axia and and have have a you know significant commitment to that business at the time. 
but I'm selling my place in Kensington and I'm looking to buy a place ultimately in Bankview is where I, where I found it. Um, but I, I, at that time, you know, I, I bought my place in 2011 in Kensington and I had assumed that the market in six years and the evolution of technology and convenience and, and all those examples you just mentioned, I assumed that real estate had also improved. And I, and I start looking for my options and there basically isn't any, there's, there's no, there's no information that I have at my disposal uh, or technology in a self-serve format that allows me to take control of it. There's go hire an agent. So that's what I did. I hired Jeff and a very good agent, a very well-known, well-respected agent and very smart guy and guy that I trust. Mm. And throughout the course of that three month period, I was, I found that I was doing a lot of the work, the important work, right? So I was, as it come, came to pricing, he was kind of saying, what do you want to price this at? Here's the information. What do you want to price this at? You know, looking at the new homes, uh, landing on which markets made sense for me, communities made sense for me, doing all that research online, the actual negotiations on both fronts. I was basically saying, okay, Jeff, say exactly this to their agent mm -hmm. and then to their seller. And then, of course, that goes back and forth. And Jeff's a great, you know, a smart guy and good negotiator himself. But I just found I'm in the way that I live my life. I don't go into a Tesla dealer and say, tell me about this car. Right. I do all that work myself. And that's on the Tesla website, but that's also using a whole bunch of other information sources. Right. Um, you know, same thing with flights. I'm not going to call a travel agent. I'm going to do my research online and use that convenience and apply my own brain and my own capacity to do it. Right. So end up going through this whole deal. And I found that I did all the important work, all the intellectual work. And Jeff basically was pushing paper back and forth and making phone calls and was the communication mean right. uh, medium between us, me and the buyer and seller on both, both properties. So um, that, and then at the end of that, we ended up writing him a $50,000 check. Right. And I was saying, how, how is this possible? And, and he, to his credit is saying, I don't know. It's, it's crazy. It's got, I know it's not going to last. It can't last because I, I know exactly what we just did. I know exactly the work you did. I know the work that I did. But, but thank you very much for the check. Yeah, we'll, like I'll take we'll talk it. about this later. <laughs> so, so that was, that to me was, I didn't, I didn't have the idea at that time. I just experienced the pain. Okay. Both on the experience, how inefficient the experience was, even with a really good agent, how inefficient that all was and how expensive it was at the end of the day. Mm. Um, and then fast forward to 2018 in the summer. So basically a year later, uh, we of course sold our, our Axia business, our fiber optic business. And that was one of my idea, one of the about 20 ideas that I had that I was excited mm. to pursue. That was, I think the sale was to Bell, right? Yeah. I also, I think the first time I heard about Axia actually was, um, to, sorry, correct me if I'm wrong. I think you guys did a deal you sold in France. Uh, mm -hmm. Was it an extension of Axia into France? I mean, I, 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 I we won't, we don't go down that road, but um, anyways. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it was uh, just quickly. It was, we had our we had our Canadian business, we had an American business, we had a French business and an Asian 
subsidiary. So four different businesses. Um, we sold Singapore some years earlier and then we had, then Bell bought the Canadian business and then we ended up selling to Orange, one of the big mobility players in France. That's right. Um, so that was, that was, I was part of, part of building each of those businesses, which mm -hmm. was a lot of fun. Cool. Well, I'm going to ask a couple tough questions, tougher questions, maybe you don't get, but why, what makes you so confident that people are ready to do this with a $500,000 plus asset? Like you are, are you, are you representative? Why are you confident? What's the signals that's telling you people are ready? Yeah, I think it's, there is a window here and, and based on the research I did when we were building the business case for this, um, people are four times more likely to buy a big ticket item online than they were five years ago. Mm -hmm. So that was just a data point that really resonated with me. I think you, I think marketplace, online marketplaces have become second nature. They've become mature, whether it's an Amazon marketplace or it's Airbnb or it's Expedia or it's auto trader or it's Kijiji or it's Facebook marketplace. Mm -hmm. There's, that's, there's a number of them out there and that's become commonplace. And that to me is driven by the fact that we as millennials, you know, this just picking that age demographic, we grew up with tech. We grew up with the internet. We've do, always done business a different way. And we've, right. we're, we're very comfortable buying and selling online. Yeah. Um, so that, and that now is 40% of the market in yeah. terms of the transaction market. We're the biggest segment of it. So a combination of all those factors and the fact that it just hadn't been done properly yet. Yeah. To me, there's, there's the odd, you know, there's some companies around that basically say, here's an agent and there's some technology behind this, but we're still really hard selling you on why you need an agent. Right. I, I just wanted to turn that on its head and say, here's the data, here's the tools. And we've got a team supporting you, but you can, you can power through this yourself on the buy and sell side. At, totally at your convenience and with total empowerment. Um, so as a combination of the, those factors and the window of opportunity that was sitting there and the fact that it hadn't been done yet. Right. It's, it's looking through a different lens and it's the way you've been, from what I understand, it's the way you've been conditioned since you were 12. Like I know with Axia, even like tr tr traditional telecom, they bring you into their vertical stack. You just, you just put the vertical stack on its side, made it more horizontal and that catered to what eventually, you know, cloud and, and all these things, right? So it's just, it's the same thing, just repositioned. I have to say, you have caused a couple, uh, a couple fights in our house. Um, and <laughs> sorry, that's okay. And, and this is what's going on. And I think the reason I tell you the, the quick story is because I think it's representative of a lot of what's going to go through people's minds as Bode becomes more, you know, permanently imprinted. Okay. So my wife, uh, teacher, you know, uh, has a, has a friend has a family friend who's a, who's a great real estate agent. And, and we recently just sold our house and, uh, and she was our agent, you know, five, six years ago when we, when we bought our house. And so, you know, naturally the, the relationship extends, right. And so I say to my wife, Hey, listen, you know, check out this Bode company, um, just did some quick math, you know, 7% instead of, instead of 1% and, and kind of outlined some of the tasks that need to happen. 
And it turned out, I mean, long story short, it turns out that, you know, the 15, you know, whatever it is, the $20,000 commission we're paying to uh, the agent is, is, is cheaper than divorce. And uh, so <laughs> we decided to go with the relationship, but, but had a, but it was, it left a, a lasting imprint on, on my wife in terms of now she's looking at it and, and kind of doing some math. Cause we just went through the experience. We sold our house through it using a friend agent that's going to be difficult for a lot of people because a lot of the real estate uh, seller and buyer relationship are relationships. Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts on how do we shake that whole thing up? Cause it, it requires consumer behavior change. Yeah, I think so. So, so part of this is we're not trying to be everything to everybody, right? right? We're not, we're setting out to, to, and, and also on top of that, we're not against agents. We right. don't, I don't, I don't have a vendetta against agents. I just think the industry has been slow to innovate and evolve. And we have the luxury of coming at this from a, a totally fresh perspective. I don't have real estate expertise. Um, neither does Alan, neither does Lindy, neither does Jordan, but Jeff does. So we have the, we have the expert there with Jeff knowing all the, all the nuances, all the regulations, you know, the contracts, practical application of what happens in a deal and customer experience in the agent world. So he's our expert. And then the rest of us get to say, start, we get to start with this blank slate that says, this is how a customer, if we were to invent this experience from scratch without this baggage, what would we start with? Yeah. And that's, that's the experience and the model that we came up with. Um, so, you know, the, the agent value to me is there is, they do have a high, you know, it kind of comes back to what do you value and what are you capable of in terms of being confident and, and doing business yourself. Right. Um, so if you, if you have the information on sold data, if you have the contracts at your disposal, if you have an online experience that helps support you all the way through and you have every advantage that the agent now has, what is the additional value that an agent brings. That's, that's my fundamental question. And for some people that's, well, they can help me negotiate or they can, you know, help me talk about my pricing. Right. Um, okay. Fair enough. If that's, if those are some triggers for you that where you don't feel comf comfortable there, fair enough. But what we found is a significant number of people that we've talked to now well into the thousands, they've just been waiting for this. They've been saying, finally, somebody came up with this answer. It makes so much sense. I can't believe it's taken this long to be here. Right. And knowing that they still have the support of our team with, you know, with Jeff from a experience perspective, uh, with the rest of us coming at it with, the, with data science and digital marketing strategies and everything that we're doing. So you get what we, what we would say is the new service paradigm, the reimagined service experience. Right. And so for a guy like me, I just power through it all myself. No problem. I know exactly, you know, I, I, I know exactly what I'm going to do. I understand how this all works. Uh, but the, the, and there'll be a number of people like me, but there'll also be a, a, like a next segment of the market that says, yeah, I really like this. I really want to control it, but I'm going to need help. Right. And so we got to make, we, we offer that service. That's all included in our pricing. 
And then you have the pro marketplace on top of that, which is these individual experts that think lawyers, inspectors, appraisers, all the professional disciplines we curate for you and include in the site as well. So we, we basically take that necessity away. You no longer need an agent. Yeah. Now you can have one if you want. And that is a total, that's, that sounds like a small deal, but that's a total transformation in terms of the experience and control, you know, and confidence that people get in the deal. Totally. We love our agent, right? But I also love the idea of doing my own homework. And it almost got to the point for me where I, if I was, if I was showing some information I got on pricing or, or kind of outlining what I thought in terms of a strategy, I almost felt like I was walking on her, on her shoes a little bit. Right. But I think mm -hmm. that that blended approach now with her, she was, she was open and to have that conversation. I think you've taken that and, and uh, woven it into the program. So you guys have a, probably a long-term business plan, long-term growth plan. Where, what, what's the next couple mountains that, that Bode's uh, hoping to tackle and climb? Yeah, we have, we have so many exciting innovations that are, that we're building right now that yeah. have just not been done because the industry has been so focused on supporting the agent in terms of tech has been a very agent centric play, like even taking the likes of Zillow, uh, the big aggregator of, of sites in the US, they only make money selling leads to agents. Right. Um, they don't make money at anything else that they do. Um, so that's one of many examples where over the last 15 years, that's been the focus. Um, for us, it's because we have this totally recalibrated view of the world and that's just focused on the customer and not on the agent, not against the agent, but not not focused on that support, we, it, it opens up a whole bunch of different ways to innovate. So we have, we have those in our pipeline where we'll be releasing them over the next months and, and even to the end of the year. Um, and we plan to expand by geography. So we, in the next month, we will announce our next market um, and then plan to go to other markets also in this year, in 2021. And then ultimately internationally, because this is, as you mentioned earlier, it's a North American problem. It's actually a global challenge, uh, but Canada and the U.S. are two of the most expensive totally. commission countries in the world. We're, we're four to five percent when you blend it all together, and the U.S. is six to seven percent. Hmm. And our two-sided marketplace concept doesn't exist anywhere. And so we would, we would uh, that's always been our goal, our goal to expand internationally. And we set up the company in a way that it can go public right from the start, the governance that we have and, and the structure that we have. Not to say that's a specific goal, but mm -hmm. we want to make sure that that is an option um, as we continue to accelerate our growth. Right. The precedent's been set, right? I think Australia, they don't, they, they not, they're not, they're already way above, way, way forward on this, right? And like Western UK, I think as well. So yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, I was just going to say on the the international precedent that we that is quite different to us is, as you say, Australia, uh, countries in the UK, Scandinavian countries have no buy side agent at all. So that expertise, that whole service doesn't exist. They have a single sell agent per deal because they unlocked the information and liberated the information in terms of sold data and market data 
for those customers many years ago. Right. Now buyers have it at their disposal and they say, okay, I'm interested in this house. I'm going to book a showing myself and, and, and deal with the agent if that's, if that's necessary. Um, and that instantly cuts everything in half. And in Canada, we're 90% represented, 90% represented on the sell side and on the buy side of deals. Right. So we're in aggregate, just way more expensive as a result. Right. What side of the coin represents the biggest challenge um, for you guys? Do you think in terms of growth, the supply side or, or the demand side? Because um, obviously it's sort of a cart and horse scenario. Uh, tell us about that a little. Yeah, we started very much focusing on the supply and building up our, our inventory of listings, um, making that experience really simple, really elegant, really easy for our sellers. Uh, and have, have since shifted more to our buyer experience. We recently announced we're now, you're now able to purchase any home or make an offer on any home in Alberta for free. Mm. All these tools that we're talking about are all at your disposal for free to totally unlock that self-represented buyer market that we know a significant portion of the market wants and just hasn't had the option in the past. Um, so it is, as you say, well, we are, are very focused on both will continue to elevate, but they play off each other. The more buyers you have, you know, the more they will turn into sellers. And the more sellers you have will also buy, you create a culture of use around that. Uh, but it is one challenge that we have is, it's all sounds great, but you only transact if you're a Canadian every five years. Right. So it's not a subscription business. It's not a, it's not a regular thing. You're not, you're not, you know, Netflix where you're watching TV shows. Right least in this case, probably nightly for most of us. Um, Do you see the investment community, though, being a big active uh, user of that that can kind of smooth out some of the revenue? Yeah, and, that, and that's kind of where I was going is you end up, as a result, you know, we're dealing with a lot of the big builders who do have high-frequency deals. Um, we've got now 20 of the largest Alberta builders are customers of ours. Okay. Uh, so that's really exciting. And as we build out the pro marketplace, We'll also have renovations and upgrades and people that can help maintain your house in between the transaction as well. In addition to the fact that when you have this sold data, this is a big thesis of mine, interested in your thoughts on it. Yeah. But if you, without Bode or pre-Bode life. Where, um, what were we? I don't, I, I've no what idea. is this world? <laughs> at least at least for me, that was a very different life. Okay. But um when you, if you have the sold data at your disposal on a regular basis, you know, you should be, as you say, it's one of, one of your biggest assets. If you're a Canadian, 70% of people have, that are homeowners have 60% of their asset base or net worth tied up in their house. And how often do we actually get a view of its value? We get a property tax that's highly politically charged once a year and really, or low. You, and really low and you end up or you have to contact an agent and they can provide that to you, but that's not really their game. You know, they're set up to help you with the transaction. Um, or you can have, an, you know, pay for an appraisal that's 300 bucks each time. So for us and coming back to the continuous value of a marketplace like this that we've designed, you should be looking at your house on a monthly basis. Like right. you look at your stock portfolio, like you look at, your other investments to see where you're at and take advantage of an opportunity to sell or be conscious of the fact that you might not be in a, as good a spot as 
as uh, you thought you were, hmm. but having that information empowers you to to be well, smart. Sure. Uh, and if what you're thinking, totally, if what you're thinking is is uh, kind of elongating that customer lifetime value, creating more bridge between these five-year transactions through some form of membership in exchange for, for value, that's, I, I would, you know, my, my reply to that is that that would be valuable for sure. And it's, I think that one of the issues would be educating people or making people aware of the fact that this, I don't think people are problem aware because we've been conditioned for so long to think about houses as a five-year or 10-year thing we think about. That's it. Mm -hmm. And, and just yeah. make sure we, we keep it up. But um, that's ex interesting. That's exciting. So um, hmm. When you're talking about expanding into other areas of Canada, um, you know, understanding that Toronto, if you think about Toronto, Vancouver, and Calgary, these are like, these are like apples, oranges, and grapes, right? How do you plan to keep the, the, the bold sort of common denominator in terms of um, consistency entering these markets? Yeah, I think if, if just picking those two markets, um, you know, in Alberta, parts of our market is, are hot. Other parts of our market are quite cold. Um, so if you take those markets, they're pretty much hot across the board and they have been for years. Mm -hmm. um, so the, the, whereas here, the focus is more on the fact that you control the experience and you save money. And we very much set out to say, this experience has to be so good right. that you would pay the same amount that you would pay an agent to experience this, but you don't we save you, you know, 70% against what you would normally pay. Um, so in the, but a big challenge in those two markets are how do you deal with all the offers and how do you deal with the inefficiency? Like if you have 10 offers on your home in a day mm -hmm. and the agents in the middle of it and they're, you know, you're only seeing some of them or maybe you've seen all of them, but it's all in a disorganized, difficult fashion. We've designed in that through our offer process a very easy way to see all your offers all with their conditions, their pricing in a comparable, easy format hmm. um, that really helps you have the transparency in terms of what's going on. And, you know, the, the, the maybe the quicker answer, the higher level answer is homes are selling themselves. So why, why don't you just step in and, and do it yourself? Right. You, you, if it's if a home's on a market for an average day on market in those markets, it's 20 days in Alberta, it's 70. So right. it's, they're selling so much faster. If you can list your property in 10 minutes and we market it for you, we give you 300% more views versus, right. versus the traditional model. And uh, why wouldn't you just take advantage of making more money and controlling the process and getting the deal done fast? Right. That makes sense. So when you enter a new market, are you going to follow the same logic in terms of first focus on supply side and then meet it with the demand side? Or, or have you figured out something during the Calgary experience that would make you do it differently? Yeah, I think it's a balance. Uh, if, you, if you take total traffic in, in terms of how, how much online engagement both sides of the transaction have, it's like 80% buy side. Right. Because people like, like looking at homes. You know, even if you're not actively buying, homes are beautiful. They're interesting. You know, that's it's a big part of your lifestyle, where you live and how you think through all that. So naturally, there's going to end up being bigger buy side demand just by virtue of that. 
And so it's just it's just calibrating so that we make sure that our sellers get a significant percentage of self-represented buyers um, to ultimately have the efficiency in that deal and save as much money at the same time. Right. So it, it's a balance. I don't I don't think it's a total focus on one yeah. and then the other. It's it's a balanced approach. Right. So five years from now, where's Bode? Uh, ideally, what's your what's your big growth trajectory plan? North America, we talked about international. What are some of the other things that maybe this this uh, this idea of a membership sort of solution, customer lifetime value? Um, what are some of the other things? What does the team look like? Yeah, we've we've uh, we've set up the organization and started with it with that full executive team, as you mentioned, and a full board, uh, which is not your normal way to start a company. <laughs> awesome. Normally, normally it's one or two people and. You know, you're working for free for six to 12 months and you're trying to figure out if it's something works, you kind of test it a little bit and then you might invest some money and then you start building a team and then you add a board. Maybe, you know, I, I took the opposite approach of that and said, let's start with everything organized. Everyone's bought in. We have collective ownership. I don't just control hundred percent of this company. Everybody's meaningfully own are meaningful owners in the company. And that gets people really excited in terms of the success of the business, of course, but also it eliminates the distraction Mm. or mostly eliminates the distraction around all the internal challenges and building a team and hiring people Mm. at the same time you're trying to get to market. So we got to market in six months because that was already set. We we didn't have those distractions. We just said, we've got the team, let's power through this. And so that really made us, I think most companies would take, over a year, in some cases, yeah. that's probably great. two years. Um, and we know we had, a, a, you know, a, a pretty, pretty, they say, I, I subscribe to the adage that if you're not uncomfortable, you waited too long in terms of releasing technology. So we we're uncomfortable, but we're now a lot, we're now a lot more comfortable. Yeah, because you guys went, you guys went through a, a pretty interesting, like co-create uh, beta, didn't you? Where you were actually having users part of the development. That's a whole yeah. that's crazy. Like how, how did that go? Yeah, that was a lot of fun. That was uh so we had an alpha a alpha test group, which is a very narrow group of about 25 people. Okay. Um, we say, you know, we give them a seat at our innovation table because it is the thing with technology, you can do anything. Right. So and we have a lot of brilliant ideas from the team inside, but does that turn into actual impact and what customers actually value? You only know until you only know when you actually engage customers. So we, we did that through alpha. Then we did that through beta and added, you know, hundreds of beta testers and got their feedback and adjusted and evolved. And we're doing that. You know, we got to launch, as I mentioned, in six months. And then we continually do that. We're constantly sounding the market. We're constantly asking for feedback, constantly sitting down with customers saying, did you like that? What, how can we improve, you know, take us through your experience and that's a forever pursuit. We call it customer centricity. Internally, that's the way we describe it is the customers at the center of the universe. Everything that we're doing that might seem internal is actually in some way impacting the customer. Even if it's indirectly, it all comes back to that customer experience all the way down to your you know, software engineer that's building out, you know, completing a, a small snippet of code, how well that works, how fast the site works, there's a whole bunch of implications always to the customer. Um, so that's, so that's 
our our theory and, and maybe coming back to your your question on the five-year plan to me it's just really really creating an ecstatic group of of customers that will take us you know to me and these, these are the cult principles that you talked about with chris neeland and your other podcasts but we have to build that and continue to improve our customer experience so that people talk about it. Yeah. People have to talk about you when you're really bad or when you're really awesome. Totally. If you're somewhere in the middle, nobody talks about you. That's right. So we're of course striving hard towards that being awesome. And if we do that, the sky's the limit for this company because we have, in my view, the absolute right answer for the, for the time. And it's a very sustainable you kind of take the long-term view of it. We built out the fundamentals. The transaction engine is there. The pro marketplace is coming online. Yeah. We have all the data that you need and we will continue to innovate. And as, as the market around us innovates, we will adopt those technologies. As smart contracts happen, we'll roll that technology in. Right. You know, right. as, as remote home viewing technology gets better and better, uh, you know, we'll partner with those guys. And if, and if people aren't innovating where we see the opportunity, we'll do it ourselves, but it's just creating this awesome value chain um, over time. So yeah, we want to be international, multiple countries where this need exists, yeah. but this business could be very successful just in Canada. In fact, just totally. in Alberta, yeah. um, we just, we just see that we're the first ones to do it right. And we want to be first and bold in our expansion plans. I love it. I could literally talk about this for three hours. I know our listeners would, would love to, um, but I, I want to get you back to your day. And I, before I let you go, um, yeah, I'm just thinking there's so many different things I want to ask, but before I let you go, I, I, I always end this way. Um, you know, the, the best companies that have good, strong leaders, um, oftentimes those leaders have really good, strong and specific routines. Are, are you a man of routine and, and what is it and how does it help you? Yeah, I, well, I'm a bit complicated that way. Cause I find to, I, I'm a big believer in good habits. Yeah. So I, I'm uh, I actually just got my DNA, my 23 and me test back yesterday. Oh, really? It tells me that tells me I'm supposed to wake up at eight 14 in the morning. Genetically that's, that's my perfect time, but I'm up at six every morning. So I've been, I've been wasting those two hours. <laughs> uh, I, but I do like to get up early, get a workout in and then have the rest of my day to focus on business. And, and, uh, and ultimately I, I really am a believer in, in a balanced lifestyle. I, even, even when you're working big hours, like we are right now and and pushing hard on growth and doing everything that we can to make this company successful. I still think, and I subscribe to this, you know, I've, I have to force my, my team to take vacation because they're so obsessed with the success of the company yeah. because you have to have, you have to have balance in your life. If you're balanced, you're happier, you'll be more productive. And, you know, at the end of the day, business is really exciting and it's a huge passion of ours, but life and family is more important than that. Yeah. So I, uh, yeah, from a routine perspective, I'm, that's my, my Monday to Friday. And then I like to travel and I like to, as much as I punch in and plug in, I guess you could say, I, 
I really value completely getting away from it, particularly in my role. Mm-hmm. If I'm out skiing, if I'm out playing a sport or golfing or hiking, my brain is total in a totally different place. And some of my best ideas actually come out of those situations. So, so it's a healthy blend of that as well. Yeah. A lot of people think spending an hour working out is taken away from work, but is it really, you know, or is it turning the next two hours into four in terms of productivity? So I'm with you on that. I got to ask you, uh, I did listen to a podcast once with you on it. I can't remember who it was. Um, that's bad. I'll find the person and plug them, but you, did you, did you win the vintage steakhouse bet? (laughs) Uh, yeah, you, you, that's, that's the unique one. Um, I lost, we've been doing it for the last, last three months. I lost the first month because I worked out 29 out of 31 days and they, and the, the the two guys that beat me did 31 out of 31. And then an honor system thing, or do you have a track? Okay. It's an, it's an honor system thing. Um, and then I lost again in the second month or I tied in the second month and then I won this last month. So right when the uh, restaurant, when restaurants are opening again, perfect. Exactly. They'll be, will be either at vintage or at chairman steakhouse in South Calgary for sure. Quick plug where the best steaks are. Plug. (laughs) I appreciate it, uh, Robert. I know this is going to be a great one. So thanks so much for your time. That was a ton of fun. Anytime Caleb will, uh, love to do it again. For sure. We'll connect soon. See you, man. Talk to you soon. Cheers. Bye.